Is a Christian looking life enough? Is a Christian looking life enough? For some of us, we could tell you the date that we said the sinner's prayer. We know Jesus rose from the dead. We attend and give church to the church regularly. We read our Bibles. We pray. We certainly feel guilty when we sin, but is that enough? Is a Christian looking life ever enough? You see, that description just then could have actually described a Pharisee. Pharisees had orthodox beliefs about God. They attended church regularly, tithed and read their scriptures and much more. In fact, if you put a Pharisee up against most modern-day Christians, the Pharisee would leave us for dead when it comes to a Christian-looking life. So is it ever enough? And that's why this week's passage and last week's passage are so crucial, because these two scripture passages give a clear answer to this question. Is Christian-looking life ever enough? For in Mark, we see the most dedicated people of the day getting it wrong, and getting it wrong badly. For Jesus makes it crystal clear that it's not the outside actions, the outside observances, but matters of the heart that put us right with God. We must do the former without neglecting the latter. For once we have our heart right with God, the outward observances will flow naturally and will become a beautiful evidence of God's work in our life. So this morning we'll briefly go back over the washing of hands incident and then we'll look at what Jesus has to say about dietary laws. And we'll see Jesus cutting to the heart where we, as well as the religious leaders, are challenged. So to briefly recap, Mark chapter 7 starts with the disciples not washing their hands before eating. And the Pharisees see this and are appalled, uh, not in a way like our mothers used to be before we had a meal. It's nothing to do with hygiene. Their concern is about customs and, and traditions that previous generations had built up. And these customs and traditions had become suffocating, a burden. And it was these extra traditions, the oral law, that the disciples were not following, not washing their hands before a meal. So the Pharisees have a go at Jesus. And it's like they're saying to Jesus, if you were a good rabbi, your disciples would know all about being ceremonially clean. Well, Jesus responds, and he doesn't muck around with any niceties. He's abrupt, and he's stern, and he's to the point. You hypocrites! On this matter, you are badly mistaken. And then Jesus quotes from Isaiah, from the Bible, where God is speaking. And he speaks this to the, to the Pharisees. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. It's like Jesus is saying, you Pharisees fuss over all these rules that are made up by men, but your hearts are far from God. And this is Jesus making it as clear as possible that pleasing God is not just a matter of right words and right behaviour. That's the outside. But more important, pleasing God is a matter of the heart, and that's the inside. And this is a, this is a strong thing that carries over into our passage today, starting in, in verse 14 of Mark 7. And here our attention shifts from unclean hands before God to actually eating food. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, understand this. 
Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, to understand this brief parable, we need some background about what makes a Jewish person Jewish. Well, even today, there are three key markers that make someone Jewish. They were very important in Jesus' day, and they're very important today. So if you, you know someone is Jewish because they keep the Sabbath. So that's Friday sundown till Saturday sundown. You know someone's Jewish because their uh, males are circumcised. And the third marker for being Jewish is diet, dietary restrictions. And most of us know that Jewish folk won't eat pork. Uh, But there's a whole bunch of other dietary restrictions, including only eating water animals with scales and fins. You might not have known that. That's why you'll never see a Jewish person at the Bluff Oyster Festival. Okay, because shellfish don't have fins or scales. So no shellfish do, or um, crayfish. So those are all ruled out for Jewish people. So what's Jesus have to say about the food laws? Well, even his disciples had no idea. Even after the parable, verse 17, after he had left the crowd and had entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked them. Are you so dull? Not for the first time we see the disciples missing the point. Uh, Remember the parable of the sower, where Jesus talked about a farmer who scattered his seed on four soils. Afterwards, when they were alone, the disciples asked Jesus what the parable was all about. In Mark 4.13, Jesus said, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? That was back in Mark 4, and now in Mark 7 we see this happening again, except Jesus is blunter. Are you so dull? As the disciples are chastised by these words, I am reassured. (laughs) All through Mark's gospel, the disciples come across a little bit on the slow side. They don't pick things up the first time. Uh, And this is contrasted with Jesus' kindness and patience, though it may be wearing a little bit thin here. And so I am assured because likewise, I often feel a little slow when it comes to picking up the things and the ways of God. You see, Jesus doesn't pick disciples then or now because we are the sharpest tools in the shed. Sorry to disappoint you, maybe even offend you. You are not here today because you are more intelligent or wiser than people who are not here. Okay, it's because God has reached down into your life and shown you that Jesus is real. And that's the only reason we're here, not because we're particularly special. It's because of God's grace, his undeserved favour, his great kindness. Ephesians 2, it's by grace we are saved and not by works, so no person can boast. It's Paul in Ephesians 2. And he's uh, even clearer in 1 Corinthians verse 1, verse 27. And he's talking about the people that are reading the letters, the Corinthian believers. And he's talking about us too in verse 27 of chapter 1. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's us. God chose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. That's still us. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Why? So no one could boast 
before him. When you read the Gospel of Mark and you see the disciples bumbling along, I find it very easy to put myself in their place and have greatly reassured that Jesus loved them enough to die for them. He chose them as he has chosen you and I. He has wonderful plans for them and for us, and he even gets excited when we get it right. Isn't Jesus wonderful in his patience and his mercy? Anyway, after pointing out the disciples' dullness, Jesus patiently explains this parable, verse 18. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his body, and then out of the body. And then in brackets, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, when it comes to diet, there's nothing biologically wrong with pork or oysters. Food laws are about ceremonial cleanliness, not about physical cleanliness. The unclean foods will not make you physically or spiritual sick in themselves. Both a lamb chop or some crispy bacon move through the digestive system and are expelled with no connection or contact with the heart. The digestive and the cardiovascular systems are not connected in the physical realm, and Jesus says they're not connected in the spiritual realm either. And this is, has an important implications for us, so important that Mark puts it in brackets. He steps out of the story for a moment, and as the narrator, he explains something very important. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And it's important for us because it helps us understand how the Old Testament applies to us in the 21st century. For we are under the New Testament, under the New Covenant. So how much, if any, of the Old Testament still applies to us? Now, some people, some Christians, believe that none of the Old Testament applies to us. That it's all history, and it's just the New Testament. But these words here by Jesus about the food laws help us to keep things in perspective. And so, when it comes to the moral laws like the Ten Commandments, do Christians need to obey those, to live by those? Well, the answer is yes, we do. What about keeping the Sabbath? Do Christians need to to keep the Sabbath? Well, yes, but we choose Sunday, and there's much more flexibility on what Sabbath-keeping looks like. The Old Testament says that our sons need to be circumcised. Do we do that? Well, no. In fact, Moses talked of a time when God himself will circumcise our hearts. And that time is now. When you were born again, your hearts are circumcised. Now, there's, that's, that's another sermon there. But it's picking up on that Old Testament marker and how it implies to us. And when it comes to dietary laws, do we follow the dietary laws? Well, if you are a Messianic Jew then many of them do. And they do that for cultural reasons. They keep the Sabbath, they circumcise their sons, and they follow the the Jewish food laws. They do it because it's part of their their roots, and it it enables them to be an effective witness to other Jewish folk. But when it comes to us non-Jews, Mark 7 makes it very clear that all food is considered clean, and we can enjoy our bacon butties and our deep-fried oysters with only our cholesterol to worry about and not whether we are offending God. Now, this is all well and good and helpful, but it's not Jesus' main point. It's an important aside that Mark includes in brackets, but it's not where Jesus is really going with this. And so it's verse 20 that Jesus reached the climax of his argument. He went on, 
what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. And this is key. The Pharisees were more concerned about what goes into a person and, and consider that really important. They thought a pork pie was going to make someone unclean. Well, no, Jesus said it's what comes out of the heart that makes them unclean. And then in verse 21, he gives us quite nasty list of things that lurk in people's hearts. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. And so now we have a very powerful critique. Last week we saw misguided Pharisees fussing over doing the right thing while their hearts were far from God. They weren't humble before God and they had very little, if any, compassion for others. Now Jesus widens his criticism, stating that being clean or unclean is not a matter of ritual, but of the heart. Hand washing and diets are outward expressions of being clean or unclean and mean little unless issues of the heart are addressed. And that's when Jesus then lists this damning picture of the human heart. All of those things lurk in our hearts. All you have to do is pick up the morning paper or look at the six o'clock news and you see that list being played out every day. And not only that, this is exactly what Scripture says. Jesus' words align up with Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jesus is saying, Pharisees, your hearts are far from God, and worse, your hearts are corrupt and hide all kinds of evil. Sort out your heart, and the rest will follow. And it's the same for us. Our hearts are deceitful above all else, and according to Jeremiah 17:9, cannot be cured. Which is very discouraging news, isn't it? There's no good news in this yet, but bear with me. Because there is good news coming. And I want to include that as we address some take-homes. There are four take-homes I want to look at from from the scripture passage, including the good news. Now, we've seen two of the take-homes. One is our dullness is counted by Christ's patient. Praise the Lord. (laughs) I, for one, am very grateful that Jesus is patient with one of his most dullest disciples. That's certainly how I feel at times. Jesus is always there for us. Sometimes he will have a stern word and a reprimand, but he is forever merciful and patient. There's a real encouragement for us to be better Christians than we are so that we bring honour to our dear Lord. Uh, The second take-home is the matter of the diets. We are not restricted by the Old Testament food laws, so you can enjoy your pork roast for lunch with a clear conscience. But our third take-home, third implication for today, is positive change is most effective from the inside out, from the heart to outward expressions. What do I mean by this? Well, putting in place laws and procedures and agreed practices is only of limited values unless matters of the heart are addressed. So a violent youth is up on drugs charges, and what can we say? 
Well, social workers will say it's the environment that causes problems. It's poverty, racial tensions and access to drugs and alcohol. So they campaign for better wealth distribution, racial tolerance and restricted access for alcohol and drugs. And it makes a difference. But unfortunately, it's an outside-in approach. It doesn't deal with matters of the heart. And so they get very frustrated that all this energy goes into changing people and it seems not to work. Useful, helpful for the community to have the environment as healthy as possible, but unless it addresses the heart, then it is ultimately futile. And the politicians, they see our youth before the courts, and what they say, they say it's all about education. We need better education. So the politicians, they campaign for better resources and well-paid teachers. Well, so they should. (laughs) And they advocate, politicians advocate for values-based teaching units. And this does make a difference, but it's the outside in. And politicians and educators get very frustrated with all the resources going in and very limited payback when it comes to people like our, our youth who are standing in front of the courts. Other people shake their heads when the youth has a sentence passed down on them and they say if only that youth had better examples. If only his parents had better parenting skills. Or maybe if his parents had stayed together or if there were wider now support. And so these people advocate and, and run programs for better parenting and strengthening marriage and, and now support groups. And it makes a difference. But again, it's the outside in. And they get very frustrated when they don't have the lasting changes that they were hoping for. And Jesus makes it clear that just like hand washing and diets are not effective because they are outside in. It's the same with these programs. Until we deal with the heart, our heart, then these programs won't make the lasting effect than we hope with. But then there's this catch-22, because Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that our hearts are deceitful above all things. So how can we do this? Well, the answer is grim, because in our own strength, we are hopeless. Every step forward we have in changing our heart is met with the deceitfulness and the hardness of our hearts. But then there is hope within the gospel, wonderful hope, and it raises above the clamour of our despair, and it's found in Ezekiel 36. And it's all about getting a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, wonderful passage. Again, this is God speaking through the prophet. I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit on you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that a wonderful promise? It's not like, oh, we can work with this heart. (laughs) We can change the vowels and, you know, do this, that, and the other. It's like, oh, no, this heart's a hopeless case. Let's whip it out and put a new heart in. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Notice that's inside out. I will put my spirit in you and this spirit will move you to do the right thing. Ezekiel had had been given this vision of when the Messiah comes, he would perform open heart surgery on those who followed him. Open heart surgery spiritually. He would cut deep 
and give us a heart that is soft towards God. Isn't that wonderful? How do we do this? How do we get our new heart? Well, Romans 10 verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So when we ask Jesus to be our Lord, when we believe that he rose from the dead, deep down, not just with our heads, but deep down, we receive a new heart and we are born again. Born again. Wonderful news. You should not be surprised in my saying that you should be born again. And that list of nasties that resides in all of our hearts is delivered a fatal blow. A fatal blow. Listen to 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 9 that um, Jan read out before. It's that list of nasties again, but with wonderful good news to follow. Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor the adulterers or idolaters, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Isn't that interesting? The people in the church of Corinth, that list, there were people from, from that list were sitting in the congregation. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Can you see where the hope of the gospel is? Those people in Corinth, they had those same nasties lurking in their heart that we have in ours. But Paul is saying, you've been born again. You've heard the gospel, you've received new hearts, and don't go back. Keep following Jesus, keep away from those nasties, allow him to mould and shape your life so that you can please God. And this is the wonderful news, the great and glorious news. If you go back through that list and see how bad it is, each one of those types of people has been touched and can be touched even today and moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. Jesus himself. And so, what have we looked at today? Well, we're seeing that it's possible to live a Christian-looking life, but have our hearts far from God. It's too easy to cover up the nasties in our heart, for a time anyway, and pretend. And we're seeing that though the disciples were dull and slow, this is matched by Jesus' ongoing patience and kindness and as an encouragement to us. We looked at the ritual diets and seen that we have a freedom when it comes to food restrictions. And next, even more importantly, change happens from the inside, from the heart out. And we can't do that ourselves. We need a new heart, a new heart that Christ promises all of us when we're born again. And this is the invitation, the free, undeserved, amazing invitation that is extended to each one of us this morning. And oh, the joy of having a heart made soft towards God, free from every stain, and a heart open to others. This is the promise of Christ to all those who look to him. Let's pray.